Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that holds a mirror up to society, but it's a two-way mirror, I've got it the wrong way round, and you can all see me unaware that I'm being watched and trying to pick spinach out of my teeth. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week political discourse appears to be focused on whether or not half a million pounds should be raised in order for Big Ben's bell to bong on Brexit Day, when they could just use one of them alarm bells that's been loudly ringing for the last three years. Prime Minister and Salt Gritbin, empty apart from an outdated Christmas cracker joke, Boris Johnson, asked the public, bung a bob for a Big Ben bong, but no one asked him if he was okay and was he having a stroke. Of course, an iconic bell doing its well-known hour indication noise is an appropriate way to mark the UK's departure from the European Union, as it's much like a death knell. Perhaps as it hits midnight on December the 31st later this year and the transition period ends, instead of the standard New Year's fireworks, we can have a muffled funeral toll followed by a wah 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 noise on a kazoo. Better yet, why not just sell a tape across onto a pig and have novelty bath plug Marc Francois chase it out of London while Emily Sunday sings the Benny Hill theme into a traffic cone. Due to repairs currently taking place on the Palace of Westminster, Big Ben hasn't rung for two years, and the cost of getting it to do so for this one occasion would be nearly £500,000, especially as there's only days to go and it'll be a bit last minute. Costing far too much money and being done with little thought, planning or time for something that would ultimately be pretty underwhelming and disappointing, hey, maybe it is the perfect way to signal Brexit after all. But it's not going to happen as the repair work is too tricksy, the House of Commons has no way of collecting public donations and more than anything, the Prime Minister said it could happen so we all know that's an automatic understanding that it never will. Instead, a giant clock face will be projected onto Big Ben because Johnson is the best at pretending things will go forward when we all know underneath they're broken and haven't moved for years. But don't worry, as waking yawning chasm Nigel Farage has received approval to hold his own Brexit party in Parliament Square, and let's face it, after their election result they probably do need someone to embrace them somewhere. Nice to think that based on the people who attended Farage's last Brexit outing, a march that resembled a poorly attended meat raffle, that going to an outdoor party at the end of January might mean that for many of them they'll get to see a pretend clock carry them out of the EU just before they get hypothermia and die. 
But while there won't be a new custom of Big Ben ringing in an independent UK, in the way that a castaway on an island after a shipwreck is independent, there will be loads of new customs at airports and docks and the like, which will also work on the basis of time and require money, just not in the way that most businesses would like. Announced by Chancellor and Morph's unloved brother, Sajid Javid, it seems the Treasury will not be helping businesses as they have to adjust to the new regulations that they haven't been told about yet because they've had three years to prepare for systems that don't actually exist. Yeah, you tell them, Javid. I mean, what kind of losers would spend three years faffing about completely unsure of what to do about Brexit? Oh, wait. I mean, really, on that basis, the Treasury shouldn't be helping the government either and maybe Javid and his pals should just have to learn to adjust. Who wants to align with EU regulations anyway? I mean, they're only our main buyers and suppliers of food, cars and pharmaceuticals, so if anything, being held up for ages at checkpoints, that means all the food will become its own penicillin and save us some cash. Maybe it'll reduce car emissions, what with them all being stuck inside lorries that are idling their engines when stuck in queues at the borders. But, I mean, car emissions are different to lorry ones, aren't they? Aren't they? It's all part of what the government is calling levelling up the economy, which I take to mean raising its difficulty level so it's no longer any fun for anyone who can't afford to take the time to play it properly. That sort of language is proof that the budget is being at least in part dictated by the Prime Minister's special adviser and the only man whose Nintendo Me is the default one but with the hair removed, Dominic Cummings. A man who definitely bases how life should be on computer games and no doubt spends nights playing Call of Duty online just so that he can swear at children in other countries. Everything is going to be levelled up, but much like most games, far too much money will be spent on bonuses and extra content. There'll be several policies that involve government departments researching where an old druid is living so you can hand him an ancient mask in exchange for a clue, and ultimately, in the real world, it will achieve absolutely nothing at all. But while businesses have to just adjust, failing airline Fly B, its name based on the two insects it resembles, one that only lands in shit places and the other that's dying out, has been bailed out by £100 million, despite it knowing for 40 years that just not enough people use it. The government bailout money isn't bailout money as such, but instead it's a deferring of Flybee's air passenger duty payments. You know, the money that's supposed to offset environmental impact. Which might be okay once we're no longer in line with EU regulations and then it's all balanced out by a complete lack of flights to anywhere else in the world as we sanction ourselves. Look, of course the government want more cheap flights available, as otherwise it's going to cost a tonne to deport all the EU citizens after Brexit, isn't it? Health Secretary and what if Olaf from the Frozen films was even more unlikable, Matt Hancock, said during an interview that we shouldn't be flying less, which is unfortunate to hear from a man whose opinions are so rarely grounded as it is. Take his solution to the NHS hitting its worst figure on the four-hour waiting targets this winter. According to Hancock, the best way to deal with that is just to scrap the waiting targets. Yeah, brilliant, Matt. How could a hospital fail to meet its targets if they just don't exist? And similarly, Matt, why not just remove the clinical definition of death and then the NHS can have a 100% hit rate in keeping patients alive? Why not get rid of all hospital beds and then they'll never be short for them? Or perhaps scrap doctors and nurses entirely and then that way the NHS can't be understaffed if it's not meant to have staff in the first place. But you see, that's what Johnson's government is all about. Thinking that he's so outside the box that you've forgotten where the box is, you can't see it anymore and you're nowhere near the factory and instead lost in a field cold and alone. Meanwhile, the box hasn't actually passed the standards to be sold for export in the first place. It's that sort of mindset that means the House of Lords might be moved to York or perhaps Birmingham because nothing will help the economy of those places like a bunch of peers who get paid to barely show up to work. 
If anything, moving the Lords to York could really damage the local business, as the Jorvik Viking Centre is meant to be a time warp representation of the past, but with a second chamber round the corner, people will be able to go there and see slow-moving, out-of-date waxworks that smell a bit funny, all for free. There's also a question of just how long the opening of Parliament will take every year if Black Rod and the Queen's procession has to drive up the M1 all day. This is all part of a constitutional review that will be happening in the spring that will also look at considering the powers and role of the Supreme Court, which is really funny as Johnson didn't bother considering them much back in September, and the House of Commons going on tour. But there's no word on if there'll be any support acts of, say, naked Extinction Rebellion protesters in the public gallery, if there'll be any guest stars of past politics, a merch stand selling prints of old bills, or maybe if they'll be doing new stuff or playing to the crowd with greatest hits such as the Letwin Amendment or that time age Chucky from the rugby Rats Lloyd Russell Moyle grabbed the ceremonial mace. Hopefully, if the tour sells out, they'll do all the festivals in the summer, followed up by a series of dates in Europe. Oh, wait. Oh, well. Conservative Party chairman and British version of Zippy the Pinhead, James Cleverly, said they were looking at a whole range of options to make sure every part of the UK feels properly connected to politics. Sure, but an easier way of doing that would have just been if your leader had turned up to an interview here or there. One part of the UK the Conservatives aren't that keen on connecting with is Scotland, as the Prime Minister has rejected calls for a second independence vote, saying that First Minister and Playmobil figure Nicola Sturgeon pledged that the 2014 referendum would be a -a once-in-a-generation vote. OK, but under the last 10 years of Conservative governments, life expectancy has dropped and it was already so low in Glasgow anyway, that means six years after the last one is probably about right. In the Labour Party leadership race, the first hustings happened in Liverpool on Saturday, with all candidates talking about how the party needed to stick together before all pointing out why they were the best and everyone else smells. Afterwards, there were complaints from candidates, rejected Teletubby, Lisa Nandy, and woman who doesn't think she has any friends who are energy vampires, even though they all say they do, Jess Phillips, both complaining that the format of answering a question in 40 seconds isn't enough. This is true, though, at least for Nandy saying towns takes up a lot less time than Phillips repeating her own name on end, which she'd only be able to fit in 20 to 30 times. Meanwhile, small face meme Rebecca Long-Bailey launched her campaign with a pledge to end the Gentleman's Club of Politics, which would be hard to do when the House of Commons is so full of tits. And the first candidate to get the support to go to the final round and what if Shape of Water found hair gel, Keir Starmer, has made it through with backing from Usdor, the shop workers union. And let's face it, if anyone's going to assist you, it'll be them. While there's still about 700 years of not very exciting hustings before we get a new Labour leader, the Lib Dems say they won't have a leader till July, as that's when they bloom before wilting again in the winter. I mean, that's what happened to their last leader anyway. But it's okay because one of their acting leaders is jumble shop Toby Jug, Ed Davey, who's blamed the Lib Dems' election defeat on current Labour leader and someone made a thumbprint in that drying concrete, Jeremy Corbyn, in a way that suggests Ed Davey has absolutely no idea how elections work. Davey said that people were so worried about a hard left government that they voted Tory instead of Lib Dem to avoid it happening because they really hated Corbyn. Sure, and where was Ed when the Lib Dems were making highlighting that view of Corbyn part of their campaign? Maybe they should just all become Labour members and vote for a leader that might help them along next time. Boris Johnson has announced that the UK's post-Brexit immigration system will be fairer as it will treat people the same wherever they're from, which translated just seems to mean absolutely no one can come here unless they're very, very rich. Johnson says it'll put people before passports, but I'm not really sure how that'll work at airport check-in. I mean, you'd go through first and your passport would still be behind the barrier. It can't, it hasn't got legs. It just sounds rubbish. And after a leaked report claimed that the HS2 rail service could cost double what they thought at £106 billion, Transport Secretary and chin with hair Grant Shapps has asked for more data. 
except knowing him that's just so he can use it to create a new identity and then escape the country so someone else has to deal with it. In Russia, President and Neil Hannon with mumps Vladimir Putin is trying to push through reforms that will allow him to remain in power indefinitely, which resulted in the government resigning and the country now having a new Prime Minister, a man no one had heard of until days ago. Putin says the changes will bring power closer to the people, but if that's what he really wants, why not just quit politics and get a job as an electrician? And the last decade has been confirmed as the warmest on record, with last year being the second hottest on record after 2014 when I bought those shorts that really showed my knees off. Well, what does that mean for us humans? Uh, extreme weather events, further extinction of species and sadly more massive bushfires or whatever it is that Gwyneth Paltrow is now calling her latest product. What, what, Parpol Broads? How goes your January time? Um, I'm recording this on the debunked day of Blue Monday, um, which apparently isn't a thing, um, I guess, because the entire month of January is blue or grey or just shit. It's just shit. But, you know, it's not the most depressing day of the year, Blue Monday. And that makes sense, because last year it was December the 13th. So who knows what it's going to be in 2020? We just can't tell. How is your January doing for you, though? Are you surviving? I hope you are. I had a really fun gig last week uh, for Nesta, the charity that I work for and I do the Future Curious podcast for. um, And it was doing a comedy set at their predictions for 2020 evening. And you can hear what those predictions are on one of the Future Curious podcasts, the last one that was out, I believe, just before Christmas. And um, some of them are, are quite bleak. Some of them about contactless uh, going everywhere which sounds really cool but then you'll never be able to use a shopping trolley again um, and you know those machines at fairground rides that you put 2p in you can't just put a debit card in that can you it'll ruin it so there were some really dark ones there and then there were some really interesting ones about the idea of having a digital twin that you can test out future possibilities on so you can sort of ask it what happened if I took this job or what happened if I did this and it would tell you how your life might plan out so you can kind of um, you know work with that and make things better Except I'm sure it wouldn't. I mean, I'm 39 now. Uh, I think that I'd probably just say things like, you know, what would happen if I did this sort of exercise? And it would say things like, there is absolutely nothing that can change your shapeless mass. It's too late for you, too late everything's done but you know uh, all of these are very interesting views. it was nice hearing something about the future that wasn't just hey it's all gonna be really bleak and we'll all be on fire um one of those was about that one of those was about eco-anxiety actually and it was saying that people's worries about climate change will lead them to act on climate change which i think would be great and that does sort of work doesn't it like worries about politics mean that we sort of act about politics or we should do we should kind of act on these things it makes you feel better it means that you're contributing towards something you know worries about my health mean that i do something about my health or i at least think about doing it realize it's quite exhausting and then i have a sandwich because i've earned it because i've tried really hard so you know um i can see all of this happening but it was yeah it was good most of their predictions about the future about people coming together and actually tackling stuff is that optimistic i don't know but that is the sort of optimism that we need to get us through January and then in February uh, all the Studio Ghibli films are going to go on Netflix so it won't matter anymore we can just watch my neighbour Totoro or not Totoro 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 Toto-toro Toro who knows we can just watch that and repeat anyway and it's lovely it's that bit where it's all raining and it's really pretty um, thank you this week to uh, James and Taz for donating to the Kofi account that's ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro um, hugely hugely useful in this month where I've just been this is too much personal information I've just been given a big old tax bill because when you're self-employed they go 
hey, we can see that your income is variable and often unreliable. Why don't you pay all of next year's tax in advance? And you go, but I don't know what I'll earn next year. And they're like, thanks, we've been really helpful. Uh, so I was given one of those lovely tax bills the other day um, at the same time as I'm chasing six different uh, jobs that I've done for overdue payments. Isn't it a wonderful time of year? Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, that's you shouldn't be sponsoring that. This is a bloody, it's a free podcast. But any donations are gratefully um, appreciated and I uh, use them to buy coffee slash drugs so kofi ko-fi.com forward slash parpol bro if you want to join the patreon i haven't added anything extra to the patreon for years i probably should shouldn't i I, hey if you're on it tell me what you'd like on it and if i have any spare time in my life ever i'll put it on it i don't i don't have any spare time i won't put it on it but you know it's the thought that counts isn't it let's at least have a chat and and you know it's all about optimism it's about optimism and hope and predictions patreon.com forward slash parpol bro go check that out thank you for all of that um thank you for all the people that kindly plugged the podcast on social media over the last week that was brilliant and your kind comments on Jenna Nunes's uh, interview she was brilliant also thank you to loads of you gave brilliant uh, suggestions on people to contact and I am currently contacting them and emailing them and in the case of one place they went oh that's nice of you to contact us but maybe you should speak to these people instead and I was like wow you've also been very useful so now I've got extra people to talk to uh, and hopefully at least one of them uh, will reply it'll be good we've got some good things coming up uh, in the future and of course should you wish to review the show on one of the podcast apps it all very much helps because apparently it sort of tickles apple podcast to go hey look at this fancy pod people do like it maybe put it on your front page so more people could do like it instead of typing in partly politics and then six other politics podcasts that don't have the word partly in coming up first and then us hidden away in the dark and then when you click on it it says hey people that like that podcast also like these podcasts that have got nothing to do with that podcast and you end up in a terrible spiral of awful, awful things. Um, So yeah, reviews. Reviews help. Please do go over there and review it. And the only other thing I was going to tell you about this week is, yeah, I've been reading um, articles by Jeremy Gilbert, who's the Professor of Cultural and Political Theory at University of East London. He's written six articles on why Labour lost the election for OpenDemocracy.net. And they are such a brilliant uh, and insightful and very interesting read. And uh, not like any of the other analysis of why Labour lost um, at all and kind of look at politics over the past 40 years. And they are genuinely interesting and very, very worth it. So do check that out. I'll pop some of the links in the the pod blurb and uh, I am going to harass him regularly to get him on the show to talk about them as well and that is it I've got absolutely nothing else going on in my life I, I finally clocked Smash Brothers Ultimate Does anyone anyone care it was really hard um, okay, uh, on this week's show, I'm speaking to Otto English about just what Dominic Cummings is and does, and Brexit fallout returns. I'm sure you're pleased. But first, eat this, but with your ears. What on earth is a special advisor? Someone who just warns you of what's on the chalkboard at a restaurant? An advisor who is overpraised by parents and needs that sort of patronising support at work or they can't function? Or maybe it's just a shiny advisor that you can only get one of in every 40 packets. In the current government's case, the Prime Minister's special advisor is Dominic Cummings, a man known for looking like if Phil Collins had been withered by a curse. But he's also known for both running the successful Leave campaign in the EU referendum, but also for walking into number 10 with his trousers falling down and showing his ass. No, not Boris, his other one. He's known for hating the elites while definitely being one of them, and for being played by a member of the Doctor Who villains, the silent Benedict Cumberbatch, in Brexit, the Uncivil War, even though his politics suggest he'd have been a better fit for Endgame. 
Just recently, he made the news after posting a job advert on his blog asking for super talented weirdos and misfits with odd skills, like he was going to start his own X-Men team, only one that isn't a metaphor for racism but an advocate, and would likely tell Professor X he has to do work fair in a pound shop to receive his benefits. Cummings is supposedly behind everything the current government is doing, directing the upcoming budget, advising Johnson on what to do, and generally being the shadowy figure in charge, and by shadowy I mean of a very grey complexion. Yet at the same time, everything he says or does makes it appear like he'd struggle to leave the house unless his mum helped him get dressed. So, should we be looking to him to see where the next five years of Conservative government might go? Or is he a walking dead cat? Or at least that's what he models his appearance on. So this week, I thought it would be useful to delve into just what Dominic Cummings, or Domcum as no one will ever call him, and wow, now I feel a bit sick, is actually all about. Is there a motive there, or just an irate neglected child that's been made Lord of the Flies by Prime Minister Piggy? So, I spoke to Otto English, political tweeter and journalist, who's recently written a few pieces on Cummings' upbringing for the Byline Times. I asked Otto all about whether we should be wary of the PM's special advisee, or largely forget that he's there, even though that could leave you susceptible to him being anywhere, which actually seems worse and quite scary. And Otto told me all about when Cummings was attacked by a squirrel and lived in a bunker, and all in all, the fact that we're even talking about any of this means, yes, British politics is absolutely fucked. It was a lot of fun chatting with Otto, so I hope you enjoy. Here he is. Um, Otto, it is great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Um, you did a brilliant uh, investigative piece into Dominic Cummings um, on Byline Times recently. And I wondered what you've learned about him um, by looking into his history and CV, because he's a I mean, he's a really odd character. And I still don't really know if we're meant to take him seriously or not. Yes. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, the uh, Yeah, I I suppose the point, my starting point was, who is this character? So when I think about what somebody is or who they are or what they're doing, I'm always, I always take it from a kind of theatre point of view. So if you take Hamlet, Hamlet is trying to avenge his father and fuds around for four hours trying to, to work it out. Um, if you... Uh, take Dominic Cummings is really really unclear as to what he wants uh you know so what what's informing him what's his motivation and where's he going what does he really want you've got the blog and if you dig into that it's a sort of soup of quotations words AI stuff random ideas and so I went anyway when I was writing about Dominic Cummings, I went back to who he is. So his childhood, how he grew up. So he leaves Durham aged 19 and goes off to Oxford. Uh, and if you read about his time at Oxford, it's really, <laughs> it's really quite sort of comical because uh, it, it's a sort of Greta Garbo tribute act. Uh, he, he sort <laughs> of, he, he, he wafts around the place in this, um, very conspicuous bomber jacket, basically doing I want to be alone, you know. And uh, people notice him and he becomes in, uh, involved, like anybody does who goes to university. He gets, he's on the periphery of some groups of people. But he first makes his real mark at Oxford, where he's studying history, uh, when he goes on a day trip to Alton Towers with a group of people who invite him along. And if you read accounts of it, most of the people who went on this random day trip to Alton Towers didn't really want him to come, but somebody had invited him along. And to make his mark, 
Um, he kept trying to impress people with off-the-cuff remarks and this kind of thing. And then he saw a squirrel fall into a dustbin and made this huge elaborate act of rescuing this squirrel from the dustbin, which then attacked him uh, up his <laughs> arm, ripped off his uh, shirt and all this kind of thing. Now, I, I have strived to try and find a metaphor for his subsequent career in that, but, I, but I've struggled. I, I find that whole incident and the whole account of Cummings Oxford to be very reminiscent of people I kind of knew when I was at university who put on put on an, an, an aspect, I suppose it is, of being aloof, intellectual, bit of an act, really. Uh, and whilst he was at Oxford, he came under the uh, spell, if you like, of Norman Stone, the, you know, the right-wing historian. Mm. Uh, which is also quite interesting because Stone, uh, do you know much about Stone? No, I don't. No, so, no, no. so Norman Stone uh, died last year. When he died, there was this extraordinary obituary in, I think it was in The Guardian, which basically dismantled him because Norman Stone spent his entire academic life denouncing people. He was one of those people who, who just attacked everything whilst having a hugely inflated sense of his own intellect and his own abilities. Um, there could be... It sounds very familiar. It already sounds it very does familiar. It sound to... <laughs> very familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you know, when I was at university, I studied drama and English, and I was a bit lazy. And, uh, <laughs> and I've been lazy ever since. And I was a bit lazy. And I found, like, if I couldn't be bothered to read a book, if I read the first page and the last page and a little bit in the middle and then went into the seminars and just slagged the book off, uh, it was quite an effective way of looking like you knew more than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I wonder... I'm just I impressed. Wonder... I did drama. I'm impressed you read any books. I, I definitely didn't. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I did, read some, I, I, I did read books, but I did find if I couldn't be bothered with it... This was an effective strategy um, because going on the attack on something, going on the attack, being a heckler, if you like, the, Nor um, the not the Norman Stone approach, the Nigel Farage approach. If you just attack something and attack it and attack it and attack it, you can completely undermine it. Even if you've, even if your case is fairly brittle and paper thin, you can just. Uh, and you see a lot of this. You see a lot of this in in Brexit. People who just attack something, they don't give a sort of measured intellectual argument for why something isn't good. They just go for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm, definitely. And I, I, and I do see that in the career of Dominic Cummings subsequently. So what's really interesting, Cummings sets himself up subsequently as a kind of um, – you know, alternative and anti-hero, if you like. He, he's somebody who says he wants to change the system, he wants to get rid of the civil service and all of this kind of thing. But actually, if you look at his real career, the things he's actually done, they've all of them been about stopping stuff, blocking stuff or dismantling stuff. So, for example, and I think in the fog of uh, Brexit, we forget, all the history that came previously. So 
So Cummings leaves university, goes, uh, goes to work uh, in Russia for two years, where he sets up or tries to set up an uh, um, airline company, which uh, fails spectacularly. So he spends two years in Moscow trying to set this company up. Uh, eventually, they get a f- one flight to Vienna from a city in southern Russia, and uh, they leave their one passenger behind. <laughs> but it's just the most bizarre story. And Cummings subsequently goes on to blame the KGB and say that it's all their fault and that they were meddling and were trying to wreck his business. But he leaves Russia comes back to the UK and then sets her out on this career to basically stop, block or dismantle. So his first gig is running the No to Euro campaign, which was around the turn of the century, like when Tony Blair was still in power. Uh, I, I mean, many people probably can't even remember that era. Yeah, I couldn't remember. That. Well, I, I couldn't remember that that was a, that there was a campaign about that. I just sort of uh, in my head remembered that. Oh, we just we we weren't going to go for the euro. I couldn't remember how that went about. Yeah, and and weirdly, if you go on, if you have as many Twitter spats as I have, inevitably <laughs> over 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 the course of the spat, somebody will always go. And what if we'd ever join the euro? People said the country would collapse if we didn't join the euro. Actually, I don't remember anybody saying the country would collapse if we joined the euro. Um, But people thought it was quite a good idea. And then there was this very active right-wing campaign to stop us joining the euro, which was effective. Uh, Part of the reason for that, of course, is because the press back then was even more powerful than it is today. And the press is overwhelmingly Eurosceptic, right wing, anti that kind of thing. So uh, and there was no referendum. I suspect if there had been a referendum, people would have voted against the euro anyway, because as we've learned, binary referendums don't necessarily have a nuanced um, approach to things. Anyway, so... um, Having done that, Cummings uh, went to work for Ian Duncan Smith, that hugely successful conservative. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, hey, he's just be- he's just become a lord. So I mean, oh, you know, yes, Lord Duncan well, Smith. Yeah, a knight was it? A lord and a knight. Yeah, yeah. Whose CV is a thing of some fascination. But anyway, um, D- Cummings goes to work for him as a spad, basically, and then. Um, gets so frustrated because Ian Duncan Smith is so disorganized that he eventually quits. Uh, so, so far on the CV, you've got him blocking membership of uh, join, the UK joining the Euro, and you've got him basically being Ian Duncan Smith's key advisor. I mean, so far, this is not like a catalogue of great success stories, is it? Yeah, a, fa- a failed airline and being attacked by a squirrel. A it's really not a <laughs> Squirrel blocking the UK, joining something progressive and big and running the, you know, being in charge of probably the most ineffectual Tory leader in history's um, office. Um, And around this time, I can't remember exactly when it was, he does the most bizarre thing. He goes back to live with his parents up in Durham and his dad has bought a farmhouse outside of Durham and Together, they build like an air raid shelter bunker in his um, on the farmland. It's so weird. So when I was tweeting about this a couple of weeks ago, 
somebody from the Times actually contacted me and told me they'd seen the bunker and it was more like a World War II concrete air raid shelter. And in this air raid shelter, he put books and, you know, it, it's like, like it's some sort of doomsday cult. Uh, what's that thing on Netflix? The uh... Oh, it's uh, Kimmy Schmidt, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it's a <laughs> With the mole women, it's yeah. It's a Kimmy Schmidt vibe. He builds a sort of Kimmy Schmidt end of days air raid shelter in this Durham field. And then, and according to his own bio, then spends two years uh, learning about the world in this bunker. I mean, it's such a weird thing. However, I do wonder whether that's another embellishment of his backstory, you know, making, it's a bit like a Marvel superhero, isn't it? You sort of create a, a mystique about yourself, your origin story, you know, to, uh, th- there's a bit in the original Superman series when he goes to his Temple of Solitude or whatever it's called. Do you remember? And he learns all that stuff. Yes. <laughs> it's a bit like that. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's very bizarre because, I, I mean, he's very pale, so I suppose you could, he, maybe he has been inside <laughs> for two years. Um, but, you know, clearly this this background is, is, I mean, to say he's eccentric is sort of an understatement, really. And yet... Obviously, the Leave campaign was very successful, and now the election campaign has been very successful. Yeah. And he seems to be very trusted as a conservative source. Yeah. And whenever he blogs, it gets all the attention. So, how has that happened? Is that just because of the reputation he's built up himself, or is he just very good at, you know, s- strategy and, and and marketing? How does? I mean, it, what it seems strange. If you told me someone's backstory like that, failed airline, attacked by a squirrel, lived in a bunker, I'd just say, well, this is, you know, I wouldn't expect them to suddenly end up in number 10, uh, supposedly controlling things. Yeah, well, he developed a reputation for being a great blocker. So he, so after all of that, after emerging Kimmy Schmidt-like from his bunker, he, um, he then runs another, he runs his first... Uh, referendum campaign, which was blocking uh, an assembly being placed in the north east of England. So in that era, Tony Blair's government was trying to introduce northern assemblies to try and uh, address the north-south divide and give more power to the north, you know, more decision-making. And he ran this campaign, and I can't remember the exact percentage, but in the end... So he ran it on the basis of it was too expensive. It would cost the taxpayer lots of money. They would uh, have, you know, faceless politicians running their affairs and that things were basically better done from London. I mean, if you want a lovely forerunner of, uh, you know, a practice match for Brexit, that's it, isn't it? It will cost you money, faceless bureaucrats, uh, things better off being run from London. And so he wins that. They block all attempts to put assemblies in the north. And so to basically, in a very elongated way, to answer your question, Cummings' reputation run, uh, rests on that. It rests on his ability to win stuff, stop stuff, and get referendums done. As to the intellectual, mystical guy, the... Um, yes, a lot of that rests on the blogs. But to be honest, the right has a problem, and it's this. There are very few right-wing intellectuals. You know, you've got Norman Stone, uh, you've got Roger Scruton, both who've just died in the last couple of years. These people are both viewed 
by the right and played up by people like Dan Hannan, the conservative MP, as the great intellectuals of the right. But there's no more than a handful of them because as as these same people like to remind us, our universities are filled with left-wing, left-wing <laughs> academics turning everyone into Marxists. Um, and I suppose in a very kind of narrow field and uh, a small group of people, Cummings is seen as, as a great bright intellectual. But having read his blogs, as I, as I said earlier, it's, it's sort of other people's thinking. It, it's a bit like early David Bowie songs when he cut up uh, random bits of books uh, and shoved everything together into the lyrics of a song. It, it, it's, it's that. It's other people. Yeah, well, there's a I weird think. bit about a moon base, isn't there? About how Brexit will lead to a moon base with uh, with Jeff Bezos or something. <laughs> it just sounds. Yeah. It, it looks like a sort. It sounds like a sort of teenage boy's scrapbook or something. <laughs> you know, it's, yes, it's I mean, really, it, really know, bizarre. Yeah. It, very odd. Uh, he's obs- apparently obsessed with AI. And um, when Johnson gave a speech to the UN uh, last year, just after he became prime minister. It had clearly been written by Cummings, and it was like a 10-minute speech about how robots will shred our vegetables or something. So it had a Boris Johnson sheen on it, but it was clearly written by Dominic Cummings. But people who know this stuff, and I don't know anything about AI, and I'm happy to admit that, people who I chatted to afterwards said this was very, you know, very basic uh, AI stuff. So, I mean, his ideas aren't, it's not like he's some great innovator, uh, or some great thinker. It's other people's ideas, which he's absorbed and then put out in his blogs and these very, very long rambling blogs. Have you read any of them? Yeah, I've I've tried. I found them quite hard going, uh, to to be honest. Um, they, I, I sort of realised halfway through a very long one that I wasn't enjoying it. And came I, know, up, I know, and I'd probably just given him a website hit, and I felt quite sad about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, I was going to say this. This still comes back to though, but he's been successful recently. You know, in everything, in all the campaign, the, the most recent campaigns. Oh yeah, have all been successful. So he's he's obviously very good at taking other people's ideas and using them well or or has it been it it can't just be luck well he's been very good at winning stuff but he didn't run the election so he didn't run the election campaign uh the the election campaign was run by australian strategists who who also were responsible for getting um scott morrison you know the australian prime minister elected a year ago the guy who the guy who decided to go on holiday as his country was on fire um the same group of Australian strategists have just got Boris Johnson re-elected with a with an Australia uh, sorry a New Zealand video team. So Cummings did wasn't involved in that campaign. Um, yes, Cummings delivered Brexit, uh, and yes, uh, although it pains me to say it, that was a brilliant campaign. You know, the the vote leave mm. campaign was brilliant because they boiled it down to stuff which had nothing to do with the eu uh because they calculated that people aren't interested i mean you know if you go back eight or nine years people might have had a passing interest or a passing view on the eu but they didn't have 
the passionate, strong views that people in the UK have today. Uh, yeah, no one cared. No one cared really years, like cared, 10 years ago. They? Yeah. It was just something that happened in the background. I mean, people, nobody would have known the names of any MEPs apart from Nigel Farage even four years ago, I doubt. Mm. No. But now some of those people are household names. Um, what, but what Cummings did there was he boiled, it was a classic marketing strategy. The, the vote leave people boiled it down to something that it wasn't about. So they, they turned it into taking back control. It was a very undefined, anybody can project themselves onto the message taking back control. They made it about money and they made it about all the stuff which you could apply to anything. I mean, you, you could complain that building roads costs money, you know, and what, what do you get back from it? You know, if I'm not, if I don't drive down the M25, why am I paying for the M25? Why can't that money spent on the M25 be better invested in my local hospital? The, the logic of leaving the EU to save money is childish, but most people on both sides of that campaign didn't understand it. And Cummings made a huge benefit out of um, boiling the message down, appealing to people's basic instincts, ticking a few little racist box boxes, whilst the Remain people ran around handing out leaflets that were all about mobile phone roaming charges. So yes, he's a brilliant strategist and a brilliant marketeer, but where does the country go next? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we'll be back with Otto in a minute. But first... Brexit Brexit Yes, 
this is the return of Brexit fallout because in just a few days the UK will leave the EU. Sort of. Kind of. But not yet, really. I mean, to be honest, having a party about it all on January the 31st feels very premature, like celebrating a very difficult operation going successfully on the day you're told what date it'll be on, despite knowing in three months' time you could wake up with your face and belly swapped around and everyone's calling you Belly Savalas for the rest of your life. Now, I don't know what operation that'd be, but that's why I'm not a doctor and exactly why I'd be qualified to work in the current Department of Health. So, quick facts first. Yes, January the 31st is sort of Brexit day in that after that date, Article 50 can't be extended. The UK is no longer part of the EU, can't have a say in it, doesn't get any more funding from them, all that jazz. To be part of the EU again after the 31st, we'd have to rejoin, which would be a whole big shenanigans involving having the euro and none of the dandy petulant child benefits we got while in it before because everyone thought if they let us have those, we might stop being so annoying. But ha, more fool them, we got worse. But it's also when the withdrawal agreement bill kicks in. A bill that, as I record, is currently in the House of Lords who've backed an amendment to make sure EU citizens get documentation for their settled status and also defeated the government on the power of British courts to depart from the European Court of Justice judgments. This will then go back to the Commons, though afterwards, where there's a Conservative majority, all those amendments will probably be removed again, and blah, 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 blah. It'll all go through in mostly the same shape. The shape that has now had bits removed that previously contained protections of workers' rights, environmental standards, or reuniting refugee children with their families. Sure, those bits might go into domestic law, but why lie to ourselves anymore? And instead, let's just assume they won't, with the potential for surprise, or at least the smug satisfaction of saying, I told you it'd be shit, before the Labour camp guard tases us for talking again. That's next week, with its Big Ben projection, like the hologram two-pack giving people a glimpse of what it'd be like if it was actually there, but in reality just costing a lot to sully the memory. And then we're in the transition period where all of those celebrating on the 31st will still have to buy bananas that aren't bendy enough for them, or hoovers that don't waste enough electricity, or phones that they can use in France. Ugh. All the EU bolt-ons, including EU law and free movement, will be valid until the end of December this year, or longer if the transition period is extended, which it can be, but the government seems adamant it won't be because they can't source enough ditches. So, if that's true, then from January the 1st, 2021, we're probably out with whatever trading deals we've managed or not managed to get in the 11 months that's apparently nowhere near enough time to get a trading deal negotiated in. So that's when the party should be, though I wouldn't want to have too much champagne that night as you should probably hoard it and use it as your bartering tool to swap for a loaf of bread in the following year. I am, of course, being unnecessarily gloomy and pessimistic, ah, project fear, and none of that might be needed, but with the announcement that there'll be no business alignment with the EU after Brexit, it does mean that pretty much all British businesses will struggle to sell or buy from Europe without a lot of extra checks and customs, meaning all them fancy cheeses could cost a ton more, let alone fruit, veg, cars and insulin. On the plus side, it does mean all the things we buy in from elsewhere won't have to have any of the same health or safety regulations as before, so while your body is craving its vitamins from the vegetables you've lost, all the e-numbers you've consumed will still mean you've got enough energy to possibly dodge the explosion from that new lamp you just got. How can businesses adjust for this? Well, they can't, not until they know what the UK's trading regulations will be, and there's still very much the chance that there won't be if the government don't get a trading agreement sorted within those 11 months that aren't long enough to sort an agreement out in, and then we still just fall out with no deal like a dead monkey from a tree, one that died of boredom hearing about how the Brexit negotiations are going. The current government plan is to agree some things and then work out the rest as they go on after 2021, with trading goods, security and fishing rights being priorities to get done by July. And those ones are really important because the latter, fishing rights, makes up a full 0.1% of the economy. So it's really 
really important. But hey, the narrative is that we're a big shark in a small pond because every globe in number 10 is built so everything else revolves around Britain. After that, trading agreements on everything else could go on for years, and in 2024, Stormont gets to vote whether the Irish sea border that's going on should go on for another four or eight years, and yeah, get Brexit done could potentially be Johnson's campaign slogan in the next three elections. The government have promised no immediate deportation of EU citizens, even though Home Office Minister and Sam Gamgee's washed-up corpse, Brandon Lewis, said valid immigration rules will be applied if they haven't registered by the end of June 2021. At the moment, there are 900,000 EU citizens in the UK who haven't yet applied, but let's face it, they may be waiting to see how things go, then be desperate for a free flight back to the EU once Brexit kicks in. I know I might be. Pre-settled status applies to any EU citizens who've been in the UK less than five years, and it allows them to stay for another five. But I'd say everyone who's applied or not would be more adequately represented if they could apply for really fucking unsettled status, as would a good chunk of British people. Bloomberg Economics has calculated that by the end of 2020, Brexit will have cost the UK £200 billion, which is just £15 billion off the entire amount of money it's cost the UK to be in the EU since 1973. But hey, at least we've taken control of spending that money, rather than giving it to the EU to spend for us by investing a large amount of it back into the UK, in places that the government wouldn't bother. Yeah, idiots, with this £200 billion, we, as British people, have frittered it away like heroes of money, like mavericks of cash. Yeah, we'll show you mum, I mean EU, we'll get takeaways every night, you'll see, you won't be able to put that money into areas desperate for development or environmental protections, because haha, we'll have spent it on PlayStation games. I can still drop our washing round though, yeah? Yeah? And now, back to Otto. It was interesting you saying about that he didn't run this election, which I was under the assumption that he did, so are we giving him too much credit? You know, is he is he being given too much... Um, kind of credit for, for being in charge, and actually he's not as in charge as we think. Well, so returning to the heckling point that I made earlier, yes. If you, or me um, as a university student, it, it's easy to slag something off or, or even to convince people that something is a bad thing and even to get people to to leave it, as we are now doing supposedly on the 31st, but really in December. But what happens next? yes. The, the, the testing point for both Johnson and Cummings is can they deliver this and can they make the country better? And all the evidence suggests that they can't, you know. So the real question is how are they going to get away with it? It's like, the, it's like the bit after a bank robbery or a heist. How do you actually, you know, uh, launder that money? How, how do you get away with what you've done? And that will be the test for Cummings. This blog, which he put out um, just after New Year's Day, was just so bizarre and uh, detached from reality. The idea that he um, could somehow change the entire nature of the civil service and, and also this central paradox, which is that he, he, he's opposed to unelected bureaucrats and civil servants, even as Downing Street has filled itself with more special advisors than any time in its history. Yeah, well, that, that blog I found, because I read some sort of points of view that were saying that that blog was, you know, nonsense on purpose, but it sort of got people talking about the notion of civil service reform. So that, you know, and then it was shared by all the news sites and all the main journalists. So it served its purpose. Yeah. But that then suggests to me that he's, 
that he is smart and has a plan and then I hear everything else about him and I think well he's he, no he's not he's an idiot and this is a mess so uh, it's very hard to pinpoint you know if we should be concerned about what he's doing or just kind of dismiss him as a mm. as a, an eccentric idiot you know that that's what I find quite hard with his character yeah, so I don't think we can dismiss him because he's there, you know, and the trouble is Boris Johnson, who I've read acres and acres on over the years, Boris Johnson's essential problem is he's lazy. Mm. <laughs> so having a lazy prime minister uh, who who's fond of big projects like building stupid bridges and fucking tunnels to nowhere, you know, having him in charge on the one hand whilst having this Machiavellian character in the background is probably a fairly dangerous combination um, because yes it, he does have these ideas which are again about dismantling and dismantling the civil service I mean what is the case for that uh, presumably he thinks it's too big and too powerful but then he's part of it himself mm. isn't he yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. One of the I remember reading some years ago. Um, it was an interview with Ken Livingstone before his Everyone's Hitler phase, and um, he was yeah. talking about how he'd seen a an interview with Boris Johnson as Mayor of London, and it had been a year into the job, and they had a picture of him by his desk, and he hadn't moved any of Ken's stuff off it. The desk was still yeah. exactly the same. I, I all right, that, oh, yeah. did you? <laughs> and I just. Yes. It was all Ken's yeah, stuff. Which yeah, which I thought that really sums up who he is to me, someone that doesn't actually do anything but pretends that he is, you know. And, and I think you, you mentioned it in your in your uh, articles about Cummings as well, that, you know, should should we be very scared that actually the next five years are going to be lots of destruction or, or is it going to be lots of nothing with fingers pointed at other people because they aren't, you know, happening? Yeah, they've performed this bizarre trick where they've managed to make themselves look like the anti-establishment when, when they are they are the very essence of the establishment. You know, it's it totally... I mean, this is the most bewildering thing of the time we live in, you know. They, these people... I mean, are in, the thought that people like Ian Duncan Smith and Zach Goldsmith and Boris Johnson are anti-establishment is the biggest pile of fucking bollocks, you know, I'm mind my language that that you can possibly imagine and if you take boris's uh years uh, as mayor of london he did nothing he took he, he did one thing he did one thing as mayor of london apart from siring um you know a child who we later found out he had sired he did one other thing and that was to build an ersatz route master bus which cost three times or something like that as much as as the buses they replaced, um, and those are good looking buses. And yeah, they, didn't they? They, over, do, they overheated for the first bunch overheated, overheated and caused people and all, to faint and stuff. pass out. Yeah, they are undoubtedly good looking buses. You know, as much as I dislike Boris Johnson, those buses are good looking. But but at what huge cost? You know, he blew millions and millions of pounds on that garden bridge that was never built. Boris Johnson likes big projects that he will be remembered by. Pe- people think Boris Johnson was responsible for the bicycle high scheme, but he wasn't. That was a Ken Livingstone thing. Uh, the, the only other thing he did was he built that weird cable car over the Thames down um, uh, on the Greenwich Peninsula, which literally goes from nowhere to nowhere, and there's a metaphor in there. So, yeah, you, you've got this childish character who doesn't, doesn't like detail, but who likes these big childlike projects. 
Boris Johnson is dangerous for that reason, I think, because he he has got a Trumpish element to him. You know, Trump's got his big walls and things like that. Boris Johnson's got his stupid tunnels. This is supposed to be an advanced, grown-up country, you know, with a huge economy which could be doing great things. And, and we have been running around in circles whilst these clowns come up with these ridiculous notions. So we're going to have f- five years of, of no social care plan, but 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 promises that a bridge will be built between Northern Ireland and Scotland, and that'll be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great time to be a comedian. So, I mean, you know, you're, it's good times for you, but I, I don't think it's a great time for anybody else. Oh, probably a good time to be writing about it. Yeah, you say that, but, but when but they're that ridiculous it. already, it's almost hard to find, uh, to, to, to satirise it. Yes. That's the problem. We, I need them to be slightly more sensible so I can make them seem more ridiculous. Um, I, I wanted to ask, uh, just sort of away from Cummings in, in general, really, uh, what, yeah. what, do, what do special advisors actually do? Because that's one of those roles that I've heard about for years. We, we, you know, we had spin doctors and now we've got special advisors. Are they the same thing? What exactly, yeah. what exactly do they do? Are they just someone that loiters? I mean, again, with Cummings, we've just seen him sort of turning up with his trousers around his bum and <laughs> wandering around. Yeah, I mean, that's so that trousers around the bum is what people saw at Oxford with that stupid bomber jacket. It's an it's an I want to be alone. But look at me. Look at me. Hmm. Here I am. I want to be alone. You know, um, sp- spads have been around since I think at least the 60s. I think Harold Wilson brought them in. Uh, so spin doctors was a sort of. 90s term for for people like Campbell that who was the who was the Dominic Cummings of his day wasn't he um spinning stories and giving special advice and all that kind of stuff uh they their numbers have definitely grown over the last few years but what what's worrying is that a lot of them have used it as stepping stones into parliament so Cameron was a special advisor um I think both Milibands were special advisors. Uh, so, so a lot of the current—I mean, obviously, those people have all faded back into the <laughs> into the background. Thank God, back into their caravans. But uh, it's funny, isn't it? They've all got like a sort of novelty place to go and be, isn't it? David Cameron had his gypsy caravan in which he wrote his book, and Cummings <laughs> has got his bunker. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Um, uh, Yes. So special advisors are are what they say on the tin. You know, they are the people in the background in Whitehall who are giving advice, spinning stuff, uh, coming up with strategies. And these are unelected bureaucrats, the very thing that we're meant to be leaving the EU because of. Yeah, and they're, they're quite unaccountable as well because I remember Nick Timothy being blamed for Theresa May's election fail, and then he's still giving advice uh, about how elections should go. Sort of, yes, a couple of yeah. years later. I mean, it's not. I, I don't. You know, it's not uh, that uncomprehensible. You, you can understand why people would want a well, non-political advisors from the brightest universities, supposedly. But the vast majority of those people are going to be Oxbridge graduates with a very narrow world view. And I suppose what Cummings was trying to do in his blog was he was trying to broaden it out beyond that. But, you know, the the central irony, he said something about, I don't want public school boys and something else, didn't he? What was it he said? He said, I don't want public school boys. I want, you know, 
crazy thinkers and stuff like that. Mm, weirdos, and so who isn't does, it? Yeah. Weirdos and, and oddballs and whatever. So who applies? Yuri Geller. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's what you end up with. You end up with Yuri Geller Britain. This is such silly times. Such silly times. It is. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, cool. Thanks tons for, for joining me today. Also, and I, I wanted to um, just final question, which we'll ask all the guests on this is apart from yourself and of course, uh, Byline Times uh, and Politico, which you write for. Um, who who do you follow? Who do you like reading up on? And who would you recommend that listeners check up uh, for actual sort of actual investigative reporting, interesting reporting uh, on politics? So one of the big problems, I think, is that investigative reporting had kind of died a death. I mean, even when I was writing the Cummings blog, I was looking back at BBC stuff from 15, 20 years ago, and it's in-depth reporting. You know, the the, the Ian Duncan Smith CV scandal, which, again, a lot of people have forgotten. There's a huge long article on the BBC from whenever that scandal broke, 2001, I think, about his career and the contradictions between his career and his CV, that stuff has gone. And I suppose it's because people's attention spans have gone because we all flick through on our phones and read things so quickly. The, the, the news providers aren't doing that meaty in-depth stuff that they used to do. Uh, so yes, plug for byline that is something that we are trying to do we're trying to get that bit of the market well not the market that bit of the news agenda that used to exist and just dig deeply into things um all of our newspapers are still owned by this very small group of people who mostly don't even live in the country and a lot of them seem to be hardening their position and i think that's because newspaper sales are dropping away you know print paper newspapers are dying a death so there's a lot of clickbait out there there's a lot of stories which aren't real stories a lot of stuff which gets puffed up which isn't really very important so i would say to people dig in (laughs) check stuff question what it is and and don't necessarily just go along with the flow of your own bias and your own opinion um so I follow a surprising number of different people on social media. I follow Brexit Party people. I even have chats with people in the Brexit Party. And you can, and I, I seek, I hope, to try to understand what the other side is saying. So I would say if you're of a left-wing bias, do read right-wing newspapers. Do try to understand people's points of views. And, um, and if you're of a right-wing bias, do try to seek... The other stuff, you know, if we all were reading what the other side thought, I think the country would be far less divided. Thanks tons to Otto for that. You can find him on Twitter at Otto underscore English. Uh, his website is thepinprick.com on which if you read the about section, you'll see why he uses the pseudonym Otto English instead of his real name, Andrew. Uh, and it is a very fun tale. Um, and you can find a number of his articles, both investigative and fun satirical at bylinetimes.com or politico.eu.
Big thanks to Ruby, Chris and several others who all asked uh, that I interview someone about Dominic Cummings. So I did. Merry Christmas. Um, thanks to all of you who have sent in suggestions of who to interview and subjects to find people to interview about. As I mentioned before, I've contacted loads of them and hopefully I've got the next few weeks all lined up. But look, I need more. I hunger forever for your political topical suggestions. Please satiate my really strange appetite that they don't cater for in restaurants. They won't do it. I've said, I've looked at the menu and said, no, I need a guest that will talk to me about uh, defence or sex work. But they, they won't do it. They just say, it's like chips or start, do you want a drink with that? Anyway, there's no special month for this diet of curiosity. Guest, guest February. No, it doesn't work, does it? No, I'm going to... I'll stop now. Basically, what I'm saying is if you've got them tasty recommendations, please send them to at Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk, or just email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or maybe raise half a million pounds and get a large clock to shout your suggestion at me on an arbitrary date of celebratory choosing. And I probably won't hear it because I don't live near Westminster and no one will be in the vicinity to hear it apart from either maybe Nigel Farage and a poorly attended meat raffle. And they won't understand it. So as always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thanks for listening with your side head holes or even your other head holes if you've got them sort of skills. I mean, why not play this podcast up your nose and have a weird sinus sound session? It is 2020. We've got to get innovative with this future time. In between popping AirPods up your airwaves, do tell others should you enjoy this show. Maybe even post about it online somewhere if you fancy it. And if you're making the effort, why not go the whole hog or at least a small piglet and review it on your podcast app of choice or donate to the Kofi or Patreon too. Big cheers to Acast for hosting this show on its pod platform, my brother the last sceptic for all the blinky plonk sounds, and to Cat Day for the Lydian liner notes. This will be back next week when it's announced that actually you can only level up the economy if you pre-order the expanded package with the bonus features and everyone else has to have a budget economy that won't work on your old defunct system. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Farage's Brexit Party Anthems album, featuring the sounds of cold January wind and rain, most of the songs used in Billy Elliot, a Vuvuzela being played somewhere in Essex, a man trying to not be allowed into France but very much being allowed into France, the Macarena, Kevin punching a lump of brie, and foot and mouth disease played on a lute. Farage's Brexit Party Anthems for you to celebrate on January 31st, as the UK is still very much covered by EU law, but not if you don't say it out loud. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.